And here comes Milwaukee. Forbes another three. Oh, no! <laughs> this is the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. Like you heard in the intro, welcome to the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. I am your gracious host, LJ Cascon. I've got Hot Take Harrison, Alexander the Great, and my boy George the Thunder from Down Under. Y'all already know the vibes. So... We're going to go run right into what we usually call the week in review. Just last, or today on the toilet, believe it or not, I was like, you know what? I'm going to call it the WeCap now. I think it sounds cuter. So I'm going to roll with that. I don't think we have enough cute stuff on the show. So I think that's pretty cute. Let me know what you guys think. I, I like the WeCap. But not much not much went on in the WeCap uh, the last week. The Heat played three games on their West Coast trip. Uh, a surprising game in Denver. I know we talked about that a little bit uh, last week on the show, too, about how we were expecting, you know, just a, a torrential beatdown. That didn't really happen. The Heat kind of showed up, led by eight in the fourth quarter, but just couldn't pull it out. Um, a, a nice last-second win against Utah as well. No Jimmy, where it really shouldn't have been that close when you really think about what Utah was expected to be. I know Laurie Markkinen has popped all the way off, and, and Jordan Clarkson has been very good for them too. But the refs, the Zebras kind of had their way late in that game. I don't, I'm, I'll get into that in a little bit too, but I don't necessarily blame the Heat. They have their fourth-quarter issues. I don't blame them necessarily for that fourth quarter issue because the refs kind of took the reins out of them and then Tyler Hero bailed them out. And we will talk about Tyler Hero in much more detail very, very soon. Uh, Something now that's become a theme so far this season, though, but we'll get into that. Uh, Miami wrapped it up last night with an almost brutal, brutal loss to the Clippers, blowing a 20-point lead in the second half. 2023's very first stinky third quarter. But bam, cooked. We are able to pull out a double-digit victory in L.A., Miami's now won four of five. Things are looking a little bit up against teams that it's not the same as the, the previous West Coast trip where you were beating Oklahoma City and San Antonio. This one has a little more vibe to it, a little more juice, so to say. So I want to ask you guys, we'll start with you, Harry. Things are looking up. How are you feeling after this recent stretch of Miami Heat basketball? Um, I feel better about surviving the regular season. I think there were definitely concerns when Deadman was playing um, heavy backup minutes that this was going to be um, a very scary regular season. We didn't have much of a bench presence at all. So the fact that like depots come in and really short up the bench, Max seems to be on the other side of a nasty, nasty, nasty December slump. Um, I think Duncan's going to get phased out again. So obviously always a good thing. And the the bench is solid. I know your favorite player, Orlando Robinson, has kind of shored up the backup center spot. So I feel better about the rotation going forward, and therefore I think they can probably put together some wins even against what's going to end up being the toughest part of the schedule in January. Um, No back-to-backs, but if you look at the teams, a lot of tough teams um, throughout the month. So it'll be a good test for them. But I feel better about them for the regular season. I want to clarify that because people get very confused um, on Twitter. They want to talk about uh, we're back. You, you don't need to make changes now. Every win um, kind of like backs up their thoughts that the Heat are fine. And the truth is um, the jumps made by Hero and Bam have really helped to um, keep the team from completely falling apart. And then solidifying this bench and their rotation is helping them pick up some decent wins recently. Um, I still 
I'm on the, I'm, you know, I'll continue to, to beat my chest that they need to add probably one to two guys wings that can help them. I think they have um, found a closing rotation and we can probably talk about that a little bit later, but they need two more guys that can really um, help them. We've talked about it for months now. If they can get a, if they can get a starting four who plays well next to Bam, uh, Caleb off the bench next to Depot and Max and Gabe would be excellent. Um, and then while we all like Orlando Robinson, he's been a great energy big. I really like his minutes. He looks very good when he's out there. Uh, I'd feel much more comfortable again with him as an emergency backup big and getting a solid um, big man to back up Bam and just make sure that they have depth in place if they were to suffer an injury. I just think that's where they are. Um, you know, depending on who they get might change my projection of where the heat finish, but it's always going to be the same. The heater, can they, can these guys show up in the postseason? Can the role guys, um, do well on the road? That's really the big issue with role players is can they play well on the road? Usually, even though, um, they obviously had some tough games in Miami last year. And that's kind of where we are. The, the heat seem to have leveled themselves out. Um, they're most likely going to be around this, like, five, six seed, unless they go on a major run. And if the bench is solid and Depot's giving the minutes, you feel comfortable with the team making the postseason and being, or being decent the rest of the regular season. You're just kind of waiting for them to make some additions if they want to go and make that run, which it kind of seems like that's what they're going to do. I agree. I think that they are a one or two moves away from seriously looking like they have a formidable solid rotation. Cause like you said too, I know Royal last night wanted me to say something nice about Orlando Robinson. Here it comes big dog. He's fine. He is a serviceable backup for the regular season. Like you said, Harry emergency backup for the playoffs is great too, because at this stage in his very, very young unproven career, if you're stuck with Orlando Robinson playing legitimate backup, 15, 20 minutes in the playoffs, you're going to feel like you have your pants around your ankles. It, you're going to be caught out in the open. And that's why I think solidifying that again, we're going to get into possible trades in the future too, but something I saw today too, like John Collins, he's not having a great year. He maybe now that he's he's looked kind of bad this year, maybe a little discount, wink, wink, hint, hint. Who knows? Speaking of trades though, Alex, we're going to go over to you now. How are you, how are you feeling about this recent stretch? Are you enthusiastic at all? Um, I wouldn't say I'm enthusiastic. I'm sort of in the same camp as Harry, where it's just like, I kind of feel we know what they are come playoff time. And ultimately my goal as a fan is to see the team win a championship, of course. And so, you know, I do feel a little bit better. Um, I don't think we're going to likely be one of the teams in the playing game. I, it could still happen, but I feel a little bit more solidified around that six, five area, which is, you know, nice. But again, you still have to go through one of the Nets, Celtics, Bucks, or Cavs, who are all looking like very, you know, well-oiled, cohesive teams right now. Um, and, you know, they have a ton of talent on all of those rosters, which just is going to feel like it's it's just going to outweigh us when it comes down to a seven-game series, ultimately. So, um, you know, I do feel better about the regular season a little bit. It's nice to see bam and tyler excel because it, it makes it more palatable to watch um because you know we're used to going through the motions of if jimmy doesn't get 30 and you know two role players don't go off then you're just really watching this boring ass game where you know we're 
just stuck in the mud. And so to see the progression from from Hero and and Bam, it makes it enjoyable to see your younger guys take that next step. I agree with you too. It's like the talent deficiency that we've seen from this team bite them in the butt in the playoffs and in, in prior years, bubble run excluded. It's it's a problem, and that's not, not something they've addressed. The only thing they were banking on was internal development, which they have gotten uh, from Bam and Tyler, which is great. That's what you want. And then Caleb Martin, I guess you could say, is the only other, not necessarily outside addition, but outside of what you were expecting from actual internal development. Caleb Martin's jump has been pretty significant as well, even though he's been hurt as of late. But still, we're, you have to add something else too because the talent efficiency, that's how you win in this league. How, how did Miami win their three championships, boys? They traded for Shaquille O'Neal had Dwayne Wade, and then in the second run, had Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and then Ray Allen. It's like, you at some point, schematics aside, you need guys that are just better. And this team has been scratching and clawing the better part of the last three years now. And they, to their credit, they've done a great job too. But again, you just need that, that extra push of just pure talent. George, how, how are you feeling? I'm on the back of um, a couple of the answers we've already heard as well. The this run that's been going on, these you know this eight and three over the last eleven, it's it feels a lot more significant now than it did before the season. I'm a bit more uh, encouraged by it. We've um we've seen a lot of improvement from a lot of guys that you know we we, we expected to see it, but we also really hope to um, that they take the next step as well in Bam and Tyler. But the big coefficient in that is the fact that Jimmy Butler's really not played over the last three games like that. He's not been. Um, you know, he's just not been involved as much. He's 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 still playing well on defense, and he's doing what he needs to do. Um, he's passing the ball a lot more. He's averaging seven assists over his last three, um, which is a great sign. You know, for for the team, it actually helps. Um, you know, players like Bam and Tyler get as much run as possible in those later game situations, which I've been preaching the entire season. Um, when you see Jimmy take that backseat offensively, you start to really see. Hero and Bam shine in those in those situations. The last three, Bam's averaging over twenty eight points a game. Tyler's averaging twenty six points a game. Old Deep is averaging nineteen, of fifty percent. You know, fifty percent shooting, um, and over forty percent from three, which is exactly what we have asked from him. He, he, like it's, it's all we could hope for him as a player. You know, as as a as a fan of this team, um, and you've definitely got some players that that walk in here and be. You know, a little bit more disappointing as well. We've seen the decline of Kyle Lowry more recently. I guess you can attune that to his his um you know massive log of minutes over the last how many weeks? Um, you he's said taken a step massive. Back. I thought you were going somewhere else about something massive on Kyle <laughs> Lowry, but continue, continue. I'm sorry. That that uh that massive asset is um is getting shipped out hopefully soon. There but, it is. Um, <laughs> the, the um you know we, we've seen a lot of players take a step up over the last three which has been good to see. You know, we just definitely need more time. But the late game execution has actually been fantastic, in my opinion. I've really enjoyed it, uh, bar the game against Denver, where we, I, I think we should have won, but it is what it is. You know, you can't always stop, um, you know, stop the offense of the other team whenever you want to as well, as much as you try. We did that. We did our best, and it was actually a better result to see. Look, we didn't get the win. I understand that, and that's all we actually can hope for. But, it was definitely nice to see some some of the trends trending to the right direction. That's what I'm trying to get to the point at. Uh, Caleb Martin and Lowry have been just over-the-top poor. So uh, I, I need to see a lot more from them. 
uh, moving forward or else it's going to be, you know, it's trade season already. So we're going to start having a look at uh, who's actually contributing, who's not. But um, massive good signs over the last three from Bam, Tyler, and Oladipo. Even Max Struess, who had one of the worst stretches I've had, I've seen a Heat player have over the, you know, in recent history. He was so, so bad that it was almost looking like a wrap for him. But over the last three, um, he leads the team in plus minus, uh, averaging plus minus. He, he's shooting above 50% from three and from the field. Hasn't missed a free throw. Um, you know, he's kind of rebounding. He's kind of passing a little bit as well, which is nice to see. So it, it's good sides from Max. It's good sides from the team. Jimmy, though, averaging 13 points is kind of worrying. I don't know. Um, it's more because I want to see how this team performs when he's at his best as well. I'm not saying it's uh, it's concerning to see that Jimmy's not playing that, you know, or not taking it as serious or not taking the offensive load on. I understand why he's doing that. It's just more the fact that I need to see how the team's going to work. You know, is Hero going to still hover around that 26 range? Bam, definitely not going <laughs> to hang around that 28 points a game if Jimmy starts to fire as well. But I, I need to see them all in a cohesive unit. I'm happy that you brought up the Jimmy thing too, because he has played sparingly over the last couple of games. And that's a gift and a curse in and of itself, because it's a gift in the sense of right now, you are seeing what Tyler and Bam are able to do with a heavier offensive load. But in the playoffs, when Jimmy actually is quote unquote trying, how does that kind of change the offense? Is Tyler going to be able to adjust? I have more faith in Bam to be able to adjust, if I'm being honest, just because working more down low, not as so much as a perimeter player like Tyler is. It is just easier to kind of throw the ball down to Bam. Not that Jimmy does that in abundance anyway, but it's a lot in theory. It's easier to get a big man more involved with a ball dominant player like Jimmy as opposed to giving it up to another ball dominant player like Tyler. But speaking of Tyler, Tyler had another good game in Denver. Like you mentioned, George, dropping 26-10 and 5, then followed it up with that game winner in Utah. 29 total points, 9 rebounds again, and 6 assists, including... What what that, that game winner remind me, correct me if I'm wrong, it looked a lot like the Dwayne Wade buzzer beater in overtime against Chicago way back when. The the floating one-legged three-pointer at the horn. Um I, I don't necessarily like I said earlier though, I don't blame the Heat that that game was all that close in Utah too. They do have their late game execution issues. George said that he's actually liked them recently. I'd like to get back to him on that in a second. But overall, I I don't blame them so much for that game because like I said, the zebras did kind of take control, but then moving on. Um, uh, no, you know what? Not moving on because this is something that actually bugged me about that game. It just came back to mind. I wanted to move on. I really wanted to be the bigger man here, but I'll, I'll let you guys join in too here in a second, because this bugged me that foul on Gabe Vincent on Jordan Clarkson on the pull up three in transition that they called a foul. That wasn't a foul in my opinion. And Spo, there was 13 seconds left. Spo had a timeout to challenge and he had a challenge. He didn't use it. There's 13 seconds left. Use the challenge because worst case, he's just taking the free throws anyway. It, I don't, because then you don't have the challenge to use on the horrible Laurie Markin and thing anyway. It's it's neither here nor there. Uh, do you guys want to chime in on that? Am I crazy? Did, did that look like a foul to you on Gabe Vincent? I'll let anyone take that. I think, um, I definitely think there's a bit of an issue with Spoh's lack of challenging. I think like you have won a game you should essentially be using it every game and you just need to figure out when is the right time to do it. So if you have one timeout left and there's 13 seconds and the call is questionable at all, um, you should probably be using it. I understand a lot of coaches like to save the timeout, like as a maybe desperation, right? Something happens and you want to drop the play, but 
odds are you're going to call it for some other reason or one other. You can, as a coach, at least I'm not comparing it. People always get, think I'm like making a joke. I'm, I'm nowhere near an NBA coach, but I coached basketball for many, many years. Um, a lot of the stuff translates. Like if you, if you use your last time out and there's 13 seconds left, like you're drawing up that play, you're drawing up your defense and you're drawing up the play after like you, you have, and these are professional athletes, so they can do it a lot better than the 12 to 15 year old kids that I was coaching. So you're drawing up three plays at once or three situations, three scenarios. Um, so yeah, if you're, if you believe like you're trying to save the game and you're questionable call, um, let the refs look at it. Let, let, um, Secaucus, New Jersey, look at it. Let's see what's, what's going on. And, um, that was also the issue, right? They didn't have a timeout to challenge the, the marketing foul, which wasn't even close to it. I mean, they said the next day it was a foul, but I think they meant the bump early was, but again, he shouldn't have been shooting. So it was just, you have to assume the refs are going to mess up because they stink and they're bad at their jobs. It's referees and weathermen always wrong and yet still keep their jobs. I have a, my, my plan, if I was in charge tomorrow of the NBA referees is like, you would be, you would be docked, uh, you would be docked a game check if it was like an egregious missed call. And if you missed another one within, I would, I would have them be off for a week. Like you have to understood that the humans are going to err and they're going to make mistakes, but they have to be um, cognizant of the errors they make and they have to be willing to adjust. You cannot, uh, the fact that we know every referee's name in the NBA is not a good thing. The fact that when we know um, that a guy is going to be uh, calling a game that we're in trouble or that both teams are like, Oh no, it's him. That's a problem. Tony so, finally. Oh, I mean, he's he's one of the worst. <laughs> he's um, so bad. I forgot I, the guy's name just lost me. The guy that who the road team always wins. Um, the Celtics like him, but no one else does. But there's a lot of bad referees in this league, and they have a problem, and they need to fix it. So, um, yes, I think you have a challenge. It should be used every game. Um, you can decide when you want to use it, but 13 seconds on a questionable call where you they're saying you fouled the three point shooter, it should be challenged. Like the odds, saving it for um, a possible overtime or so that that's not the point of it. And if you're successful, you, wait, it's only the one, right? You don't get an. That's the other thing I would change. You got to get another challenge, like the NFL. if one's successful, you deserve the second one because then you're still docked one, even though you correctly called out an incorrect. You should, call. you should, you should, you should keep the challenge until you lose the challenge. Essentially, I think is. Hang the on, way. George, what are you shaking your head for, my man? You're a fan of the, 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 the one pump chump. You get Absolute, one timeout. A hundred percent. Because if you're wrong, you lose the timeout. If you're right, you do not deserve to get another challenge. Slows down the game. The whole point of of the game more more recent times is to speed it up and to keep it exciting. Um, I, I, I'm not a fan of keeping challenges if they're successful because then you could have three, four, five challenges in a game. You know, it's the, just it, the other the other part. And you're wrong, George. I'm very sorry. You're you're wrong about that. Um, you should be. You should not need a timeout to challenge. It should just be like, um, you didn't like the play. You have your challenge. Use it. It shouldn't. It shouldn't cost you a timeout if you're wrong. Like that's. The whole point is transparency and trying to get the call right. That's why we do it. That's why they enacted it. Um, you shouldn't have to. Ha- it shouldn't be a negative if you do it. And the downside is that you lost the challenge and you have no more. You don't need to also lose a timeout. Those are things that I would change. And 
I'm not sure if it's like, listen, Spo's doing a lot of things at once during the game, so I don't know if it just like, you know, it goes over his head, but like he needs other guys on the bench being saying, hey, we like whoever's, if they have someone looking at it, hey, this is challengeable. Do you want to challenge it? And that should be like, that. they should come up to him multiple times per game asking him that. Like, hey, it's questionable. What are you thinking? And he should he should say, no, 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 not now. But every, I mean, every game, like Chris Quinn should come up to Spo and say, hey, we got one left, 13 seconds. What do you want to do? Like, it's definitely a questionable call. And use it. It's like, it's insane not to use it. I'm not, we're not trying to nitpick. We, I think we all pretty much appreciate Spo, but there's going to be times where, um, that lack of a challenge is going to come back to bite him. It has in the past, and you just don't want it to keep continuing. To your point, really quickly, um, the the question was: Is the re for that I was referring to is the repeat, um, the repeat challenge? That's what I was. I don't care about it having it being tied with the, the timeout sort of thing. I agree with you in that it should just be its own stand put standalone thing. I don't think there should be more than one challenge per team, and that's it. That's 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 I my opinion too. Like the NFL, I think yeah. the NFL. I can't believe Roger Goodell. Open up your ears. I'm saying something nice about you. I think the NFL has it right. Believe it or not, when you get the two challenges, and if you know, if you get them both right, great. I think what is it? If you get both right, you're granted granted a third. If you if you keep getting, you could get indefinite challenges. So if you continue to, if you got Hard. both right. And then you got you can keep getting challenged. Really? I thought it was the NFL. If you got two right, you got a third, and then that was just like nixed. Like you're, it's done after. No, that I, be, I believe you. I believe at that point you would continue to have one. I, I'll double check, but I I don't think any I don't think anyone's ever done that. But I think that. <laughs> yeah. I just want the input as well. Um, that was a foul game, Vincent. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I just went back and looked at it as well. The there's no reason why Gabe Vincent should be running with the with, with the you no know, the offensive player right behind him. My and rose-colored then, glasses was I thought that Clarkson kick, kicked his foot out no. and that kind of like in, instigated it. But I, again, that's what I'm I saw. Lying, so. Off in, in when I was watching the game live, that's what I saw as well. But going back and looking at it, the only adjustment that that Clarkson made in the air was to um, was to move to his right a little bit, which was away to actually away from Gabrielson as well. Gabrielson just continued to run into his back, so there's no need for him to do that. So I I, I think Spy would have looked and said, you know what, it's just going to be. You know, a, a timeout where we just didn't want to use it. He should have kept it. Um, we shouldn't have used it at all after that because that low marketing call with Hayward Highsmith was criminal. It was egregious. It was way that was criminal. That was that not only they 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 didn't call it on the reaching, which would have been a smarter, you know, or just a more reasonable time to call it. He made zero contact with him. He was so far away that it was visibly like, like he wasn't even close to him. It's not like okay, there was some contact. There's not. There was zero contact, and they called it. I'm just like, okay, well, what's happening here? What are we looking at? Yeah, no, I that one is was way more egregious. But again, then Spo used a timeout, and then didn't have his challenge to use that on that anyway. So I don't. People are gonna think I hate Spo. I really don't. I like Spo a lot. I think he's like top two best coach in the NBA, and I don't think he's number two. But this year has been a little, you know, annoying for him. I believe. Just so I don't, I don't want to uh, spread misinformation on the podcast. You were right about it's two. If you get two challenges right in the NFL, you get a third, and that's it. There's not unlimited. I, I guess, I, I guess, I was just hoping that you would. Keep LJ going. one, I'll take care of zero. <laughs> no, you're good. I, I appreciate you coming forward. That's very nice. We do not spread misinformation on this show at all. We are we're very straightforward. We're a, a straight shooting crew. Uh, Alex, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I, there was just like a couple things I wanted to touch on. The, the biggest thing, of course, is 
I would love to see some stats on coaches that don't use their challenge throughout the game because I feel like Spo could be near the top of that list. Like I feel like we go through many games where we're not utilizing it in any fashion. Um, and then I did pull up some, you know, challenge stats. Uh, they are from 2020, but I imagine they'd be, you know, roughly the same given over the, the, the course of the past two or three years. Um, challenges by quarter. Uh, 7% of challenges came in the first quarter, 65% overturn rate. Uh, 16% came in the second quarter, 53% overturn turn rate. Uh, third quarter was 26% with a 53% overturn rate. And then 51% of challenges came in the fourth quarter with a 39% overturn rate. So it seems to be the trend that these coaches are mostly all holding that challenge for the fourth quarter. And the other trend is the refs seem to be more willing or, or I don't know if they're willing, but replay officials seem to be more willing to grant the overturn. Maybe, maybe there's a 50 50 call where it could go either way. And they're just like, all right, we'll give it to them. It's early in the game. We'll overturn it type of thing. Whereas late, they don't want to have that high impact type of thing. And they'd rather let the players, you know, play the game fully. Um, but like I said, you know, I do feel like Spo is is the the coach that is holding it for the fourth quarter intentionally, and sometimes we don't get to it. And you know, I, I find myself very frustrated where I see something absolutely abysmal in the third quarter. Um, it screws with the momentum, or you know, maybe you could stop their momentum, and a challenge would do that. And Spo's just I got to hold it for the fourth. I think that would be a really interesting statistical deep dive too, because there's really no excuse to be using a challenge in the first half of any basketball game sans your superstar picking up their third or fourth foul. Then I get it. But aside from that, we're going to go back on track now though, talking about something else that probably makes us all irritated. Kyle Lowry. I, I don't know if I speak for everyone, but I think I might uh, three years, $85 million. That's all I'm going to say. End the episode play it. I'm just kidding. No 28 million this season, 29 million next season, man. We're in for it if they don't trade this dude anytime soon. Three points on five shots against Denver. Five points on six shots against Utah. Six points on six shots against the Clippers. Alex is covering his face, rubbing his temple, because it makes me want to blow my brains out as well. I, all this comes right after last week. I literally said he was playing all right. Like, it wasn't some, some awesome vindication of him or anything. I was just saying, all right, give the dude some credit. He's not playing like ass. That's good. He's got a big one. He ain't playing like it, though. Good for him. But maybe he's still mad at Pat Riley for calling him fat in the offseason. That could be a grudge that he held against him. I don't know. Uh, to me, it just feels like if there's a player you move to shake up this team this year or in the offseason, it's Kyle Lowry. He has the contract to match. It's it, 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 it has to be Kyle because the team looks better when he, he – all the things he was supposed to do with get – get the offense energized, correct hit-ahead passes, not suicide passes. He's not doing them correctly. And we saw it last season. He was great in spot – like when, when Jimmy or Bam or Tyler weren't playing, Kyle was actually picking up the slack and doing good. But you don't pay that man $85 million to play well when your other stars are out. You pay him $85 million to show up in the playoffs and play with your stars. And the fact that you're not seeing that, that payback when all – like the chips are the highest, you push them all in – He's only doing good in December and January when, you know, you're, you're running an eight man rotation with a bunch of scrubs. It, it, it's not acceptable in my opinion, but he's your starter. And luckily for our listeners, they can get a, uh, what do you call, or oh, no, 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 paying five, 85 million for insurance is ridiculous. 
or no, I fucked that up. Cut this. Cut it. Fuck this. No. <laughs> it's cool that he steps up when Jimmy Bam or Hero are out with injuries, but he is your starter. You need production when your team is healthy too. 80, paying $85 million for an insurance piece is ridiculous. Paying, Luckily for our listeners, they can get Simple Health Insurance with Simple Health Advisors. You heard it, damn it. A primary sponsor of the basement, Simple Health Advisors. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated. Email them, give them a call today, and tell them that the basement sent you. Email our good friend Jay Poe at simplehealthadvisors.com, or you can give them a little ring, 321-345-7738. Now, I want to ask the panel, go in on Kyle Lowry, say something nice, say something bad. I don't care. I'm tired of his contract and him putting up single digits shots and single digit points. Harry, we'll, we'll circle back to you. What what do we do with Kyle Lowry? Um, we pray. I mean, I'm not a very religious person. I, I don't I don't say a lot of prayers. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if they would help me in particular. But if if you guys are into that, if that's something that you guys do, I think we just pray. Um, I just don't know if he's going to get moved this year. I've you know I know that they've floated a lot this D'Angelo Russell rumor, which I would do in a heartbeat if Minnesota was stupid enough to do that. But my the other thing I'm thinking about is like he does become an interesting expiring contract next year where you could probably use him to get a bigger slash better piece. Um, and so my thoughts are kind of like I would love to break his contract down into wings with expiring deals next year or you know just more tradable contracts uh, just gives more flexibility for the team moving forward and it kind of gives the team what they want. Now you guys are seeing that Depot and hero have been very good together. Um, Depot hero and Gabe have been good together. Like the lineups are just kind of better without Kyle, uh, especially because I just don't think he's trying that hard defensively, or maybe he just can't rev that up anymore for nights in the regular season. Um, so these games, right. Where uh, you're getting these three point games, these five point games, these six point games, like it's just not enough. Um, we kind of talked about it before the season. I know we said kind of we just we needed Kyle to shoot a lot of threes. That's kind of what we needed for him, but that's just not his game. Uh, he needs the ball, and the Heat don't need him to have the ball, and so they are kind of they're diametrically opposing each other essentially. So even though we all agree that Kyle isn't the player he used to be. Uh, I think his skill sets could work on a different team that's not expecting a lot out of him for what the Heat wanted, for what they ended up. Not that they gave up a lot, but just it's a... Um, so people will talk about how there's not a lot that he can do once they make the trade. The problem is that you're spending so much, so much of an asset in Kyle um, where you could have two other guys basically in his like helping the team out that it becomes such, it becomes much more of a negative than like Kyle's not playing well. Cause it's not that Kyle's struggling. It's that you could have had other guys here for his contract. So I think that's really where people screw, screw that up. Like it's, it's doubly bad. It's not just that Kyle's older and can't get to the basket and do the things that he thought, he was going to be able to do. He's not even really helping Bam when he's out there, which is what people thought he would do. Um, so not, so that's he's not doing any of that stuff that we wanted. On top of that, at twenty eight million, like you're you're looking at a lot of guys you could have had in here instead. 
Um, people also realize that the other thing, so the, the third issue with it is that paying him that much and getting this team so close to the luxury tax that they don't want to pay means that they're unwilling to spend money on other guys to fill out the roster. So if Kyle Lowry wasn't here or he was making $22 million instead of $28 million, um, they could be using the biannual exception. They could be using more of the mid-level exception. There are other things that they'd probably be willing to do if they weren't overpaying guys on their team that weren't helping them that much. So if the Heat can find a way over the next season, summer, whatever, to f- do something with Duncan's deal and do something with Kyle's deal and turn that $45 million into other guys, if they can turn that into three wing guys that aren't useless, um, that's going to help this team a lot going forward. And I just think that like that's really what they need to think about, whether at this deadline or over the summer, how do we move these guys because they don't do enough at their contract value to be worth the contract, and it hurts the team in every other way. Um, and so when people like defend his play, you know, oh, yeah, he's he's trying. It's like I don't give a shit. Um, he, he's not good enough. And I think we see that. And even when – so Kyle was on a bit of an okay run before these last three games where he's just like really – I don't know. I mean, they, you know, it takes the personal day. There could be other stuff going on in his life. I don't want to speculate on that, and I understand if other things are happening. It's just like he's not helping the squad, and we have to find a way to move on. If it doesn't happen this year, um, it's got to be an early July 1st move to get him out of here or even a draft trade, just um, we really need to move on. Alex, over to you. What do you, what do you think about Kyle Lowry recently? And and how do they do, what do they do with Kyle Lowry? If not this season into next season? Yeah, I was very skeptical when we initially acquired Lowry at the price that we acquired him for, not necessarily what we traded to get him, but the contract that we gave him, I was very, very, off put from the beginning with it and 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 harry touched on a lot of the points it it was mostly you're you're tying up so much money into one player who is also older and he's aging and those things are not a recipe for success in any professional sports league at all um the the biggest thing i think for kyle coming into this year for me people were asking how is tyler gonna fit with the starters coming off the bench moving into the starter role how's he gonna fit with bam uh, you know, how's he going to fit with Jimmy? How's he going to fit with Kyle? And the thing I think we have seen is Kyle has not fit with those three at all. Um, Bam and Tyler are legitimately, I think, statistically one of the five best pick and roll duos in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, you know, Jimmy is Jimmy, of course. He's going to be able to get his when he wants. But Kyle isn't distributing the way that we thought he would um he's an absolute liability on defense he's getting blown by any guard that's faster than him and he tries that little swipe move when they go by often fouls them or you know creates uh, a situation where someone has to switch over and then it allows that guard to dish for an easy layup or or something of that sort um you know another thing that kyle is, is known for is charges taken um he was tied for second in the league last year with 25 uh 26 was the league leader. He is currently, uh, if I'm not mistaken, let me just get this number correct, uh, 18th with seven, and the leader is 16. Um, So 
that number has fallen off pretty drastically as well. He He's not taking charges at the same rate that he was before, and I believe he's playing more minutes than ever. So you'd think that number would go up with more opportunities. Um, ultimately, the biggest issue, I think, is he's he's kind of stuck the franchise with our options, as Harry alluded to. Um, we, you know, most of our deals are going to hinge on whether or not we can get rid of Kyle or and or Duncan. Um, and that's going to, you know, be the problem that we're going to have to solve either this year or this offseason. I agree with everything. Basically, there is he, the, he's basically the focal point of what needs to happen for this or the front office to basically tell us what direction they, they're really trying to go. And I, I, I really highly doubt that them trading Lowry would hurt Jimmy and, and Kyle's friendship, because at the end of the day, their friendship is what got Lowry that 85 million. So it's like how if any of you guys hooked me up and I was, you know, I got traded somewhere else or whatever, and I would still be able to say that I cashed in 85 million because of, of my friendship with one of you guys, then it's successful. I'm not mad about how it turned out. I got my money. I got my bag. That's the end of it. George, do you think you could go out there for the Miami Heat and score more than three points as a starting point guard? 100%. Uh-huh. I'll do that in the fourth quarter. Uh, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll take that role. But in all seriousness, I want to like deep dive into the stats a little bit quicker as well. Um, in the last 10, Kyle has been averaging 11 points a game with three and a half assists on 44% shooting, which hasn't been that bad. When you look at the last three, which is way more damning, he averages 4.7 points a game, under 30% shooting from the field, under 30% shooting from three, um, and just out three and a half assists. Assists. It's just, it's not good enough. It's really not good enough. And I don't know if it's going, it's going through something like Harry said. But at the same time, it shouldn't even equate to that. It equates to the fact that you are on the team, you have a job to do, do the job. I'm not saying shut up and dribble. I'm saying if there's something going, if there's something you know that's affecting your play, don't play. Don't play. I don't care. Take some time off. Do take whatever you need. The, the fans are more than understanding about that. Yeah, we'll be suspicious, but at the same time, it's just it's the right thing to do. So if that's the problem, that's actually what's happening. Then then you know I hope he gets better. But if you're looking at it, I'm looking at it from the point of view he's completely fine. It's just the way he's playing. And I've been looking at the um, the fourth quarter stats as well. He averages eight minutes in the fourth quarter. And averages 2.6 points a game with uh, 26% from three, 30, 38 from the field, and averages one assist. As a starting point guard, the job that you were brought in to do was to basically was to unlock Bam. That was the, the bigger picture, was to help Bam in his development, um, was to give the Heat a primary ball handler to get to take Jimmy off the ball as well, was to do all this stuff. And he does not fit what this team needs. He doesn't. In its essence, he is. He's a point guard, but not the right point guard for this team. I think that he's still talented. That he's still got a lot to offer, but just not to our franchise, not to what we need, not to what we're having. It's it's not good enough. And I get it. You know, I hear, I hear arguments on Twitter. Um, a lot of people, ninety percent of it's just what's what the hell's wrong with Larry. The other half is saying, you know, the other ten percent is saying, um, you know, how can you be so uh, rude and how so egregious to him? He's played all these minutes. This is why he's playing bad. You're an NBA player. You, you, you don't take five games off to do this and that. You're not Jimmy Butler. You know you don't. You're not averaging 38 points in a playoff round. It's just it's, you're not doing that. Not that Jimmy's done that, but you know what I mean. Um, it's it's just not good enough when you're when you're looking at a guy that was supposed to come in and fill a massive need, 
and he's done nothing of the sort. So I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting here scratching my head. And by the way, those fourth quarter stats were for the last, uh, for his last ten games that he's played. So I'm, I'm just looking at, at it as when is his best time to play? You know, I, I think his best position on this team would be to put him to the bench. If you're going to put him anywhere, have him on the bench. Gabe Vincent's been playing a little bit better. He also had a very, very rough patch there where he was looking extremely inefficient and 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 bad. Um, I I think you've got to give him a run. I like Lowry coming off the bench. I like what he, he gives to the second unit as well. I feel like he'd be way more impactful there, giving you more of like that Tyler, Tyler Hero type of vibe of last season where he was coming off the bench. And I'm not saying he's going to cook offenses when he's versing second units. I'm saying that he's going to help the rest of the second unit get to where they need to go. Playing him with the Max Struess as well, who's been struggling besides the last three games, where, by the way, I looked at now, he's actually playing phenomenal um, the last three games. But putting him on the bench where he could assist these players into getting you know, getting their offensive games going, it's going to be a lot better for the team. Um, either that or you trade him because you're not starting him. At the same time, in the same breath, you cannot have him start on this team. If you've got legitimate championship aspirations of this season, which, look, look we've already spoken about this a thousand times, it's extremely unlikely that we are the team to beat, that we're going to be a team that's going to be uh, deep in their playoff. I feel like the way the team's constructed now, they're going to still, you know, they'll make the playoffs. They'll do what they need to do, but they won't make it anywhere significant. Uh, but if you've got genuine championship aspirations this year, the first step should be getting rid of Kyle Lowry. That's the number one step because he's your most valuable asset like that that you can move. That doesn't make complete and utter, you know, nonsense. So... Think, oh, sorry. Here, now you can finish up. No. So I'm saying like teams like... And when I said that he, he'd fit better in, in other teams... Teams like the Dallas Mavericks, who yearn for point guards and yearn for ball handlers, he'd play a lot better there. Send him back to Toronto for all I care. Uh, they, they could use him too. Um, even a team like the Brooklyn Nets, where you could look towards a package to get yourself someone a little bit better, um, a little bit younger as well, they could use him. I'm not saying they need him now. They're, they're killing it. They're on a, was it, 10-game win streak? Eight games? 12 games? I don't know. They're, they're on fire right now, but they could definitely use someone like Lowry on their bench unit. So um, all power to the front office from now on. Uh, may God be good to you, the front office of the Heat, and may you make the right decisions for the first time in a long time. I think you hit the nail directly on the head with what they do with Kyle because I am 100% in the same boat as you. I think the bench is the right option because to my way earlier point, he is his most productive, at least in a Miami Heat jersey, when he was playing without Jimmy or Bam or Tyler or a combination of the three. That's when he was doing the most. He was getting guys organized, more less experienced guys organized. You put him in that bench role, I think you're going to see the bench be more cohesive too. And if you're not going to trade him, I think that's what you do. That's the right way to do it. And also to your point as well, George, his fourth quarter stats – You've seen that dial back recently, too, because of the man I want to talk about next, Victor Oladipo. I want to give this dude some roses now because we dogged him for a minute about his offense. We always talked about his defense. We knew what that was when he came back from injury. He has turned it up a level on offense. He caught a body in Utah, posterized that white boy. It was phenomenal to watch in Utah of all places. So if you're going to posterize a white guy, Utah's where you do it. Because that's how you're going you're to hear some stuff from that crowd. It was great to see. His defense has been surreal. His offense, 
before this last three-game stretch, it was, his offense was basically Haywood Highsmith-esque. It, it was suspect. He would shoot a ton, not make a lot, but you knew what you were getting on the other side of the ball. So I, I'm sorry that Haywood caught a stray there. I, I'm trying to dial back my hate for Haywood. I no longer hate Haywood. You're a great guy, man. Keep it up, but just not on the floor in significant minutes for the Miami Heat. Um, I want to ask you guys, circle back to Harry here too, with what Vic has done offensively now, if he can sustain not 20 plus, but if he can remain average on offense, what does that mean for this Miami Heat team? Uh, so it, I think it changes their uh, floor. I wanted to like get the right word. Like, so Vic being good and showing up the bench is essentially like almost reverse Tyler hero from last year, right? Tyler was instant offense off the bench and the heat needed every ounce of that because um, it just, it, it led them to be, they were like one of the top bench scoring teams in the league. If Vic is good and Vic can do what he's been showing you, um, this makes the heat, the heat have had a lot of clutch games because they really can't score and put teams away, but it allows them to close out games a lot better um depot in there instead of whether it's max or whether it's maybe they sit lowry which they did a couple games ago or anybody else allows them to to actually look good closing out these games they can get stops that they haven't been able to get and they can kind of pick their fifth guy depending on the night and who's hot or whatever it could be could be lowry if he has a good night caleb if he's um if he's feeling good could be max if they need the shooting because I th- I think the close that closing lineup might need another shooter, and so it really it stabilizes them because I think we we're all looking at the schedule and what was going on and being like man they're going to be over and under five hundred for the rest of X number of games without a real bench presence and hopefully Depot allows them to kind of win some games. Um, but when we're talking about uh, Depot defensively, I mean. Like elite, elite stuff. Um, he's been one of the better defenders in the NBA since he uh, started playing this year. He is deflecting everything. Um, he has he's really causing a lot of havoc in passing lanes, and his turnovers are leading directly to fast break points. Something that they just could not do before he was out there. So, if that's his baseline defensively, and you could see the last few games, his drive spur game on offense is going slowly going up. He's taking more drives every game, which it, they don't even have to be. Again, I was saying they don't even have to be great drives. You need the threat of a drive. There's no threat when Lowry's out there. Um, whether he just can't or won't do it anymore, I don't know. The threat of depot driving is real. Um, he's a good passer. He's been a willing passer more this season than I've seen in other Heat seasons. And he looked a little bit like the Vic of old. I'm never going to say he's the guy. He, you know, he doesn't have the hops or what he could do when he was in Indiana or especially his first year in OKC. But um, he's looking very good. He is the guy that they expected, and I have to one give him his flowers, like you said. And also, um, I didn't really expect him to be this good, so I'm just going to go out and say like I was wrong about that. And if he is this good, um, he is the wing presence off the bench that they've been looking for. So he really stabilizes them, and I feel better about both the regular season and um, what they could do in an early uh, playoff series with him playing the way 
he does. At this moment in time, that's where I am. I basically was like, they can probably make the playoffs, but they're going to lose in the first round. I could see them winning a first-round series. I just, again, they need more pieces before I feel more comfortable beyond that. That's where I'm at, too. Alex, how about you? Where, where are you feeling now on the status of this team if Vic is able to kind of keep this awakening on offense kind of going? Yeah, I mean, it just gives us so many more options to move forward for, you know, fourth quarters or closing lineups, or maybe you need to go heavy on the defense. Um, he, he just creates so much extra versatility. I made a take on the post game a couple weeks ago. Um, it was something along the lines of it's a hot take. I'm not willing to die on the hill, but Vic is the second best defender on this team. And obviously Bam would be the, the, the number one defender and he would be competing with Jimmy. Of course, that is a take I'm leaning more and more into as the, the days go by at this point, Vic has been, you know, if Marcus smart has won defensive player of the year off of last year, Vic might as well be granted the next three based off of what I've seen, uh, you know, going from the last 10 games or so he has 21 steals in the last nine games. That's uh, two and a half a game. Roughly. Um, he is at 2.8 deflections per game, which is 21st in the league. There's only two guys ahead of him on the deflections per game that play, uh, fewer minutes than him. Everyone else plays more minutes than him. So, you have to imagine if, if his minutes per game go up, that that deflections per game number would also go up. He creates so much havoc um, on perimeter switches, point of attack defense, which we were lacking severely. That's why we were stuck in the zone for so long to, to start the year here. Um, and that was something that we missed very much so with Gabe Vincent being out um, and, and Gabe just not being able to play the zone because he's a smaller player. Uh, I think Vic's six four or six three. He's bigger. He can he can play you know against ones and twos that are sizable, and he can d them up substantially. Um, the the biggest you know cherry on top, of course, is the offense. Uh, I don't think really any of us have been expecting you know fifteen plus point per game Victor Oladipo, and you know he hasn't really done fifteen points per game to the to the to to the games that have played to this point but we've seen that ceiling be hit a couple times now and now he's done it in back-to-back -back games he had 15 last game he had 23 the game before um so it's just more hope going forward i want to see more vic and less lowry um as much as possible and hopefully uh you know vic is able to stay healthy uh, I, I really am pulling for him. He seems like a, like an absolute genuine dude. So I'm really hoping that he's able to continue this streak and, and just stay as healthy as possible. I agree because anytime that you can incorporate a shot of Marcus Smart into your answer, it is a damn good answer. Because you're right, though. What we saw, even dating back to that series against Boston, where we saw Vic kind of come out and really – he looked fine in Atlanta. He looked shaky in that first Atlanta series. He was – okay in that 76er series but then he came on all the way in that boston series where he he was just locking people down he was shooting way too much but he was locking people down especially jalen brown in that one specific boston game i don't remember if it was six i think it might have been six or i think it was six where he just he just had him in a straight jacket like the dude was just locking in and then we're getting that consistently this season too that we've seen of him the, the weight has been worth it in my opinion george how are you feeling about vic 
We acquired Victor in the March of 2021 with the hopes of being, um, you know, the the next piece, the final piece of, of this uh, this heat elaborate jigsaw puzzle, and uh, he was not. He was an injury prone, uh, injury prone guy with with huge upside, but just could never get healthy. But when you see games like this, it finally puts into perspective, you know, what he could actually offer if he was healthy, and. He did have a rough start to you know to his return this year. We didn't have to wait till um, the last three weeks of the season, like last year, when he apparently was coming back in January and he came back in uh, June. But that's that was a horrible, horrible sequence of events. I just hated that. But when you see games like this, it finally makes me you know so happy because he's such a good person. Um, I've got a few friends that work for the Heat, and they say the same thing. All of them. He's the most stand-up, absolutely awesome guy that they've ever met. So, I'm super happy about happy about that. And I, you know, I could see. I'm just, I'm just so, so happy for Victor Oladipo to finally get his legs under him. In terms of his play, the last two games have been phenomenal. Um, he's played every minute of the fourth quarter as well, which shows that Spurs finally putting his trust in him um, and putting Lowry on the bench, which has just, just been awesome for us. And his defensive output outweighs his offensive output in my opinion it's just the fact that to alex's point 100 we'll be able to move away from that horrible horrible zone defense which just look keeps us susceptible to so much crap um and he really lifts he lifts the the spirit of the team as well you see when he started to play well defensively um jimmy started to, to really feed off the energy and started to do do it for himself not that jimmy needs an excuse to steal the ball he's the best on-ball defender, in my opinion, in the NBA. Um, but when Victor's with him as well, I feel like they just play off each other um, and the energy so well, and it's just such a great thing to see them playing well together. Uh, offensively, he's been phenomenal, especially the last two games, 19 points a game, 50% from the field, 40% from three. Um, averaging five rebounds, four and a half assists. What more can you can you ask for? And if he keeps playing at this level, you know, it's still very early. Two games is a very, very small sample size. We're not about to make drastic decisions over that. But just say in two weeks from now, he's playing phenomenal. You know, even a week, how long can you keep him out of the side of the lineup for if he's playing like that? Because the move at that point is to somehow integrate him into the side of the lineup, which would also work with the agenda of pushing Kyle Lowry to the bench. Because you're not putting Tyler Hero back there. You're not playing Victor Deep at the four, so Caleb Martin's safe and Jimmy and Bam and Jimmy and Bam. So I could see him getting integrated integrated into that signing unit sooner rather than later if he keeps playing like this because that defensive capability paired with a, a steady offensive game is so rare on this team and could be used you know in infinite different lineups as well but you know the main one obviously is seeing him and Tyler Hero get paired in that uh you know in that team I I like that fit I do um there was also another one I saw which actually just it makes less sense, but it also just also just makes sense as well. Is putting Jimmy at the one, um, having Tyler the two and Vic at the three, um, and having your team run operate like that, having Jimmy operate on the ball, um, and that opens up a world of opportunity for players like Bam and Hero as well as Victor Oladipo. Because if you've got your primary ball handler is Jimmy, um, who's you know taking that back seat more recently over the two games, like I said seven assists. Um, I don't think I want to see point Jimmy again, but he would definitely allow Bam and Tyler to still operate as the primary scorers of that team with Oladipo getting 
um, decent looks as well. And Jimmy to take that back seat in the regular season. So it is what it is. I don't think it's going to happen. I just thought it was, a, it was an interesting um, point of conversation. But I agree. I, I think it's like if, if they're going to have a, a shakeup, though, in my opinion, I think it's probably Kyle going to the bench and then Gabe coming in. I think the Vic thing is interesting only in the event of like they're on the ropes in the playoffs and they need something to get off to a good defensive start. Then I could see that happening. But again, that's something that Spo only really does when they're on the ropes in the playoffs. But would, we're way far away from that. Would you rather Gabe Vincent Sanders than the Victor Oladipo? Give it a week and Victor Oladipo is still playing like this? It depends on how they're playing. If they're in another just incredible rut, then I'll try anything. But I, I think Gabe kind of meshes better to how they want to already run things on offense because he's capable of doing everything Kyle's currently doing, and they're winning right now in spite of, not because of, Kyle Lowry. And I think Gabe can do it better on the defensive side of the ball too. So if you're going to make a shakeup, I think Gabe's probably the way to go. Because like you said earlier, George, he had an, an incredulous just offensive drought. But it seems that he broke out of it recently. So with him in the right headspace there, I think that would be the move if I'm looking to make a starting move. A starting I, move. I, I actually agree with you in there as well, which just gave me another thought as well. Just because that Lowry, Lowry going to the bench is probably the best, best move to make, 100%. But Gabe's numbers from the starting unit to the bench is just a massive drop-off as well. When you see Gabe Vincent start, he's, a, he's able to do a lot of the stuff that you know we need our primary point guard to do. He's not so much a distributor, but he is able to hit the bucket, uh, hit the three, uh, get you an easy bucket when you need him to. He's a good defender. Um, I feel like Vic, yeah, like like I said, I, I thought he, w- he, w- he would work well in that silent unit, but keeping him in that second unit and keeping his confidence up, letting him do what he needs to do, on that bench unit, especially if if it's a Lowry and Victor, they're going to need unit. defense. Yeah, yeah with Max Lowry's, then they're going to need Vic's defense. And if we if we finally got a real four, <laughs> a real four to slide Caleb Martin back to that bench unit, you'd have a Kyle Lowry, uh, Victor Oladipo, Max Strews, Caleb Martin, and um, Orlando Robinson bench. You know, with no, we don't talk about Devin anymore. He's gone. Um, he's and, questionable for tomorrow against. No, Atlanta. yeah, he's questionable to to. That's a, plantar fasciitis, man. That that shit healed quick. That's a horrible injury. He should I, probably sit out the rest of the season. Lane, what are we doing, Harry? Oh, you wanted man. to get back in. Uh, yeah. The only thing I wanted to say, and what's interesting is like, I don't know where you guys were at the beginning of the season with Depot, and we were worried about his injury. Um, that contract looks like a bargain now. I would, I would say that there's no way he gets moved this season. And then he becomes a very interesting piece next year if he's playing close to this level. Like let's say let's say he's just the defensive menace he is, not even like not even the um consistency on offense. He becomes an interesting piece that the Heat can look to move like an eight million dollar kind of added to a deal and say, hey, you can have depot for a year. You get his bird rights, and that could kind of be a sweetener in a trade if something else opens up. So, um, those are things I was not thinking when they diagnosed him with the uh, knee injury in his other knee, but um, kind of looking better now that he seems to be getting his legs back under him. And we talked about it on the stream last night. He just looks quick out there. The defensive decision making, his own decision making, um, he's making the right read, he's making it fast and quickly. And um, definitely looking up for Oladipo and the Heat bench. Like you said too, when we signed him in the offseason, I didn't know we were getting Tony Allen, prime Tony Allen with good or uh, decent shooting. 
like more of an offensive game from Tony Allen. I didn't know we'd get that. And we, and Tony Allen was incredible for Memphis, incredible for the, the, the grinded out Grizzlies. So as we go to put a wrap on it here for this, this week's episode, Alex, I'm going to float it back to you. Let's end with one good trade suggestion, a realistic trade suggestion before, uh, you know, January 15th rolls around where more, most of, if not all players can really realistically be moved. All right, I had three prepared, but you're making me choose my favorite child here. So I'll go with the one that I personally am fond of the most. Um, And let me preface this with the Heat are going to likely make a deal to improve the team. It's very unlikely they're going to be sellers. So I'm operating from that perspective. Um, Not that I necessarily agree with that, but that's another topic for another day, of course. Um, The the one I'll pick here that I have is... uh, Kyle Kuzma and Taj Gibson are the acquisitions for the Heat. Um, And this one's going to cost a little bit. Uh, The Wizards do lack a little bit of leverage because it seems apparent Kuzma is not going to resign there. Um, They're probably going to likely want to flip him for as much value as they can get. And it's probably going to result in a small amount of a bidding war. Uh, But the pieces we would give up would be Duncan, which uh, Harry's already jumping up and down in his seat, of course. Um, And then I have uh, a 2027 and 2029 lottery protected first round picks. Um, How those lottery protections pan out. It feels bad to give up two for Kuzma. He does have two years left on the deal. I do feel like, like I said, it's going to get into a little bit of a bidding war uh, for Kuzma's talents. So they might be, um, you know, possibly interested in doing a little bit of an overpay if they feel like they're going to uh, make a run at it. I think that one's interesting. Um, I'm a fan of Kuzma, honestly. You know, he beat us in the bubble. He played great, uh, which was weird because prior to that run from the Lakers, I didn't really think anything of Kyle Kuzma. I thought he was kind of just kind of just a bloated type of player, like benefiting from the pieces around him. But he's been really, really good in Washington. And I know inflated stats on bad teams don't mean much, but I would like to only get him for one first. But I think you're exactly right that the bidding war is probably going to go up because he will be more of a higher desirable name. I think not on the Wizards we can't, but obviously in my perfect world, I'd like a better four option than a washed up Taj Gibson. But I think him and Jimmy are friends from from the the Tib Bulls days, so maybe maybe that could work out. What, what are you guys thinking? Um, I like Kuzma, the player. He has become a much more consistent offensive player, uh, especially since leaving the Lakers and. Um, I like him. I would really hesitate giving up two picks. I think, I don't know. I'd have to really look around the league and see what the Heat's picks are, like what they're valued at. Um, I have been really hesitant about them going all in this year. And I feel like that's an all in move. I realize uh, in that scenario, I'm guessing you're keeping the 2023 pick. Um, And obviously you'd have Jovic maybe as, as filler, but, um, I want to try to bridge the, um, kind of like bridge the gap a little bit. I don't know how to do that while making the team, um, compete this year, but, um, I think I'd be willing to give up one first with Duncan. I know it's such a bad deal. I'm just kind of hoping that like a team looks at it and thinks, man, in two years we can trade Duncan for something better. And so he's not as negative as an asset. Plus if you're getting Duncan Robinson and you play in big minutes, you're going to lose a lot of games. So. I think he's a secret tank weapon along with Deadman, obviously. So I'm kind of hoping that the Heat can like Andy can call teams up and say, listen, 
you know, this is the salary we have. Um, we know you guys are tanking. These guys are elite tank specialists. They tried to do it to us and just hope that that would work. Um, I do like Kuzma. I think he is going to get moved, and I think the price is going to be high, as you're saying, Alex. I kind of have him pegged to the Suns. I, I just have that in my head. I feel like that's where he's going, and they definitely have to make a move, and they have um, – they'd probably be willing to give up, I think, a pick or two just because they seem closer, but also like, you know, Chris Paul's at the end of his career. So um, I like Kuzma. I don't think I love it for two first round picks. So I might look elsewhere, but uh, I am going to do my best to support this team with whatever, <laughs> whatever they do. Um I definitely like the thinking. I think getting a, a four that can shoot like that would fit well next to Bam. And he's young enough where you could say, you know, if he plays well, we could ex- we can sign him to another contract, and he's here for a long time. So I think that's what you were thinking and what they'd be thinking. Uh, but we'll kind of see what happens there. George, why are you taking your clothes off? What are you doing? This is audio. Uh, only. We're talking. We're talking, we're talking about trades. We're talking about trades. We're talking about trades. We're talking about trades. I'm just saying it's audio only. People aren't going to know that I'm lying. Say it slower and whisper it in this time, please. George, why are you taking your clothes off? No, not that part. The trade oh. part, idiot. Oh, sorry. Damn <laughs> it, LJ. be more specific. I don't know what you're talking about. Damn it, LJ. <laughs> Look, Carl, Carl Kuzma, good fit. But how long do we have to wait till the Sacramento Kings realize they have to disband the franchise and we can get to Montes Sabonis? Um, please, please. Why would you even make that trade? I'm going to ask as well quickly. For the Tyrese Halliburton trade, you were not competing. You just gave up Tyrese Halliburton for somebody who's putting up inflated stats on your team. But he's a phenomenal player. Would love to get to him if possible, which is not possible because they're actually performing somewhat decent now, which I don't understand. It will come back to earth. Uh, I predict by the All Star break they'll be out of the play in. So let me interrupt they- real quick. I need to ask the whole panel as a question now because Malik Monk has been playing good for the Kings. Does that abolish no. him of being a random scrub? Is he no longer no. a random scrub heat killer because he's no longer a random scrub? He's playing good consistently for Sacramento. What, what, are, what are you guys thinking? I have him in the scrub category still. So he is still, uh, you know, he might be playing well by the Kings standards, but they are 19 and 16. Whatever. <laughs> what are sure. we? Can I, can I ask you guys a, a, a quick hypothetical? Um, the Jazz have been starting to lose a little bit more. They just lost. Um, they had a shot waved off the market and um, I think it would have won the game for them and the Kings ended up winning. Uh, would you be willing to give up two picks for uh, marking him the way he's playing? And... Uh, no. What, else, what are you, is it just like a one for one type of swap or what else are we giving up besides the two picks? Is it like a, I don't know. Does his salary match up with Duncan's? Yeah, it would be like, um, I mean, I'll look really fast, but I'm, I was thinking like it's Duncan year and and maybe deadman like that's it and that would utah would obviously be interested in that too because they're winning too much they were winning too much they're starting to come down now duncan like you said is tank bowl mvp status like he's the guy you want if you're trying to lose and this is why i ask it like this um i really like marketing coming out of the draft i like i liked him a lot um was nervous, obviously, that he struggled quite a bit on the Bulls. And then I just think the Cavs had no idea how to use him last year. Um, he's in a really good offensive system for his game, and you're starting to see 
it's a combination of being in the right system and it takes a few years for these guys to develop into the players they're going to be. So those two things are working for him at the same time. Um, I, I just think, say, I think he's like a perfect fit next to Bam. And I, you know, I'm reluctant to give up a lot of those picks too, but um, just kind of looking like, I don't know if the jazz are going to keep him and build around him because he's that good. And he might, this is a, for the jazz and they're such a weird team. Um, they need, they probably want to lose this year with the talent of the draft. And they probably want to lose next year because their pick is owed to the thunder. If it's not a top 10 pick. So anything past top 10, they owed the thunder. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, what are they? What's the rebuild looking like? What do they want to do? Do they want to rebuild around marketing? Maybe they do. I, I have no idea. And so this draft's going to be this trade deadline is going to be interesting. But would you guys do that? Is that someone you're looking at, or are you just thinking it's going to cost too much, or it might cost even more than that? I'm myself very fearful of a marketing price because he's in such a weird scenario right now. He looked. He had flashes on the Bulls and the Wolves a little bit, a couple games on the Cavs, but like LJ said, didn't really fit in there. Um, but his career high prior to this year was like 15 a game, and now he's bursting out for, I think he's at 24 a game. He's shooting like 67% true shooting, which is like 42% from three. It just feels unsustainable from a guy that hasn't really shown that he could sustain it to that point and you know he was in some very bad situations but there's there's so many variables so many question marks with him it just gives me a little bit of room for pause um if if you're feeling like if you're really feeling like he is the fix then for two picks you know maybe that's a gamble you want to take but i'm definitely personally cautious of it for me i to play the duality of man here, I, I'm going to say yes, because verbal meme, Michael Jordan, fuck them kids. I don't want those picks. At that stage, Miami has never really had to build off of picks before, too. Like, they they operate through free agency historically, minus, you know, sans Dwayne Wade. But, and I guess, bam, but I'm, I'm proving my own point wrong, and that's not what I do in my narrative. So listen up. I trade, I do the trade. I, do, I go for Lori. I do. I go, I, I trade the two picks for Lori because... I imagine that his contract's easier to move than Duncan Robinson's. If you see an opportunity to improve your team while losing Duncan Robinson in a one, like two team deal, in my opinion, you do that because that opportunity is not going to come along as often. The, the other thing I was going to say that I was just thinking about is you guys remember during the bubble or right before the bubble, when we made the trade for um, Jay and and Iguodala, um, the Heat were also trying to get um, Danilo Gallinari. Um, that was, uh, they were in discussions with the thunder to do that. And I just feel like Laurie's a much better version of Gallo with, uh, he's younger and just much, much better with the ball in his hands. Um, so I think like, that's the guy they've always tried to look for next to man, but have not had the luck. And so that was my thought process too. Like, I think he's the best for that's probably available. I don't know what he's available for didn't need to do that but yeah so i'm just i'm just thinking out loud and was wondering what you guys thought so not to drag this along any further i'll keep it really short my concern is in an already sort of clogged system with bam jimmy and tyler all averaging over 20 where does laurie fit um how is he going to get his are you willing to pay two first round picks for a guy that is 
probably going to average less than 20 points a game once he gets here. Um, or he could screw up the chemistry enough to, you know, damage other guys' situations as well. That's my question. My only retort to that would be we have seen what Spo has been doing with just a, just a, an empty bucket of talent. There's just nothing in there. I'm not in the, the house of being opposed to giving him more and letting him figure out what to do with that. Uh, he's a professional. I, I figure I figure he could he could figure that out because to me, I don't think that that's too steep of a price, honestly. No, I, I think that's a great uh, counter, actually. The, my other point, the other thing I was thinking is like, you know, they were talking about John Collins earlier in the year and what would he cost and stuff like that. Um, I think that uh, Markkinen then has value as a trade asset later on. Again, if a better deal comes available, um, you know, I think a team might be willing to build around him and he's uh, a very young guy who's still figuring out his career and getting better every every year so that's also my thing like it's not it's not where you're giving up the picks and then they're like inherently lost i mean yes you don't have access to those picks anymore but you have a player who can be moved again at a later date so i also think like it's helping the now and you're trying to look into the future and be like what's you know a, a hero and market and trade package wouldn't be bad if a guy um if a guy became available uh in the future so I think that's something we always get nervous about, but, uh, and I don't really, I don't see it happening, but I think like something like that, uh, where you're getting a young star, um, I think it makes sense. So that's kind of where I was leaning. Um, but I'm not sold on any of it yet. I'm not, you know, I, two picks is a lot. I mean, I'd probably do one in Jovic if they were only to do that, but you might get priced out there. So. I think it's a fair point too. George, you want you want to add anything to the idea of Lori? We're not dealing with Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge is the worst human being alive. One of. The worst people to do business with. He didn't want to give us Donovan Mitchell. Um, he didn't want to talk to us about that. Is he gonna really okay? The only reason why I think look, if if it was the deal was approached to me, if he came to us and said two first round picks, Duncan Robinson and like scrap i would say yes just because yeah you're right any deal where we where we're giving getting off Duncan robertson but we're also gaining lauren market and is a great it's a great trade and, and a young core of tyler hero market and bam is nothing to sneeze at because the guy's averaging 24 points a game with eight and a half rebounds of tremendous shooting numbers like this isn't just shot chucking he's genuinely playing out of his mind basketball right now so I would love to see that trade happen. Do I think it will happen? I don't know. I I, I think it's I, more realistic too, to your point about Danny Ainge not wanting to deal with Pat Riley though, but Ainge would, he, if his goal really is like Harry said earlier too, to could we chuck in the next two could, years? I think, I think Duncan in, helps that. He would still win in that trade. Could we chuck in Carl Lowry in a second and go get Jordan Clarkson from them as well? Now you're talking. Clarkson marketing. That's, that's, that's Lowry, too much Duncan, for them. Two first round picks, two second round picks, and Jovic. Yeah, they're going to want that. more than that. If they're like full rebuild, then maybe. But I, I think they would try to get more for Clarkson from a third party as opposed All to. All right, Miami. have a three first round picks. If I'm Danny Ainge, I say yes, but there's no way Miami should do that. What do you mean? No. 
three first round. No, I'm just kidding. But no, that's a good place to put a bow on it. This is our longest episode of all time. I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, we're we're doing. We went a little longer than usual too because it's the first week, you know, back in the office after a nice long holiday break. We want to give you guys something to kind of, you know, eat your lunch to for a couple of days if you don't listen to it at all one long sitting. So thank you guys for tuning in and spending some time with your favorite random scrubs. Take care and be good people. And here comes Milwaukee, Forbes, another three. Oh, no! <laughs> this is the Random Scrooby Podcast.